Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Today, a lot of people have given up hope on the younger generation thinking they're too selfish and self-centered. But that's not the case, according to Scott Farnsworth, co-founder of Main Street Philanthropy. Today, he'll be discussing the mission of his organization, that Main Street Philanthropy inspires future generations to become passionate philanthropists. They lead small teams of students and their classroom teacher through a thoroughly transformational experience that builds new philanthropic leaders for tomorrow. So joining us today is attorney and certified financial planner, Scott Farnsworth, co-founder of Main Street Philanthropy. Welcome, Scott. Hello. Glad to be here. I think this is going to be a great topic. One thing we hear from time to time, kids are so busy with the social media and texting. There's not a lot of interpersonal relationships. And I think most kids need to have something in their life that gives them purpose or meaning. And I can't think of a better topic which inspire kids and make them happy than philanthropy. And you, along with Ryan Ponsford, developed this Main Street philanthropy, a way to teach kids philanthropy. What inspired you and Ryan, because you're both on separate parts of the country, to get together and develop this program? I think the core issue you've already mentioned is self-centeredness. People today, and in particular the younger generation, have so many distractions and so many things that sort of point them internally. You almost feel like the social fabric is being broken down by, ironically, the social media. Much of my planning work has focused on very high net worth families. The challenge there is to somehow reach the children and grandchildren of those families who've grown up among so much abundance and with every whim catered to, in many cases, how do you reach them and draw them into the family discussion and help them start to understand family values, teach them financial principles? They assume that because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know the price of silver and how to manage money, but the truth is you don't. So we found in our high-end planning team that philanthropy was the key ingredient that allowed us to bring the family together to have real discussions about money that don't end up in fights, to help children and grandchildren discover their passions. One of the things that I know very well is that when we discover our passion and we follow it, then we throw so much energy into it. And that's true with family philanthropy. If it's just doing what great-grandfather said, that's not very exciting. But when the new generation gets a chance to discover where their passion is and use the family philanthropic dollars in that direction, all of a sudden we have very exciting conversations around that table. So that was the root for me, taking this idea from a very high net worth setting and discovering that it works also in middle-class families. One of my missions, I guess, the way I give back, is to take some of my high-end planning experiences and try to convert them to folks who maybe don't have as much and who maybe don't even have an advisor and to help them appreciate that these principles that we use in a variety of settings can be applicable to them. And philanthropy was one of those that I translated into that lower middle income bracket. I called it the philanthropic slush fund just to have a little fun with it. But the idea was the same, that the family members discover what they're excited about and they do some serious research to decide where they want to get involved, and they take 100 or $200, and they share it and just see what a difference they can make. So that was kind of the genesis of this whole movement. 
What kind of results did you see? Because as you started out talking, you were obviously referring to the natural thought processes. This makes sense for the high net worth family, but mm-hmm. how did that concept really transition to the lower middle income families? Because to me, it makes total sense. It's not about the amount you give, you know, it's about the concept and helping people. And you can even do that through volunteerism. So how did you see that really translate to the lower middle income families? Well, the translation was perfect, as you mentioned. It is not about the dollars, but people have this hang-up that if I don't have a lot of money to give, that I can't do any good. The good is not in the dollars that you give. The good is in the process of the experience that you bring to your family. Just having a discussion about, well, what are you excited about? If you could make a difference, where would that be? Saying, who's out there doing something in that area? Somebody in our community. Let's go check them out. Let's go see what they do and how they do it. Maybe let's compare two or three and see which ones we like. We also introduced this idea of getting inside the numbers. It's very possible to do a qualitative and a quantitative analysis of every charity because they all have to file tax returns, and those are public documents. So it's not just sort of bleeding heart, spread your money wherever you want, but it's being very thoughtful as well as very passionate about this idea of philanthropy. And so any level of family can do this. It was a breakthrough thought for me. Such a life changer. Now, your partner in this project of Main Street Philanthropy Mm -hmm. is Ryan Ponsford, and I guess he was the one that kind of opened up your minds to the possibilities with an alternative middle school in San Diego that was part of the juvenile justice system and making a difference there. So there's no boundaries of who can get involved and get meaning out of this. Exactly. Ryan had a good friend who was a teacher there, And it was actually summer school a couple years ago, and these kids were forced to be there. They did not want to be in school. They had flunked out or been kicked out out of normal school, and this teacher was just thrashing around for something that would draw their interest. So Ryan was talking with his friend about the work he was doing with philanthropy and high net worth families and middle income families, and the teacher said, wow, you suppose we could do that with my kids? I mean, this is like drug and gang territory. Ryan says, well, what have we got to lose? So he happened to be at a philanthropic conference a few days later, was talking with a client family of his that was there. They asked him, how are you going to fund it? And he says, I don't know, I'll just do some grant proposals or something. By the time he got back to San Diego, the family had called and says, we like this idea a lot, and we'll put up the money so that these kids will have some real dollars to work with. So he launched it. He was kind of building it on the fly. It was a multi-week program, kind of like Junior Achievement where the professional comes in and teaches. The kids were required to discover their passion first, to be organized into teams so they could learn how to work in groups. Ryan taught them how to read tax returns so they could do the qualitative and quantitative analysis, taught them how to call charities and ask meaningful questions. And at the end of the program, they got on a bus and every child got to give away a few hundred dollars to the charity of his or her choice. And Ryan says, there wasn't a dry eye on the bus when we got finished. One of the kids made this really telling comment. He said, I never knew it was so hard to give away money or so much fun. And that just sort of encapsulated that whole experience for Ryan. So when he called me back, his first question on our phone call, does all this happen without my being involved? This happened over about a three or four month period. He said, hey, Scott, would you like to hear what I've done with your idea? (laughs) Of course I did. Of course I did. 
And I think one of the keys to your early success is that you said Ryan kind of did that by the fly, but I know I've sat through your training programs on how to teach this course, and you've really defined it. There's a defined process that you can have people come in, and you've really incorporated a lot of ideas that help bring that out of kids who maybe aren't used to even having a discussion. Everything's by text, but you've mm-hmm. really discovered a way of unleashing their passion, so to speak. I think that's one of the skill sets that I bring to the table and why Ryan came back to me because I've been in the space of creating training programs for almost 15 years now. And so when I saw his really rough but amazingly effective approach, I mean, just the lights went off and I said, hey, this cat has so much energy in it. So we went to work over almost a two-year period to take this idea, to flesh it out, to put legs under it, to create some really cool tools get ourselves qualified with the IRS, and eventually to go back out and to teach it again under this new sort of polished-up curriculum. So both Ryan and I this spring have gone back to schools, me in Florida, he in California, and presented what is now a 10-week program, a lot of neat teaching tools that we use. We have the kids' blog. We have a set of cards that we use to help them discover their passion. We've incorporated panels from nonprofit organizations who talk about what their group does and so forth. But the essence is the same. Discover your passion. Work as a group. Find out who's doing what in your community. Go evaluate them. When you find the right fit, then use some of this donor money to go make a gift and then sit down and evaluate what you've learned. It's a really simple process, but it is so, so powerful. I think that's really the key is it really can affect change and really at every level of a youth's lifetime. It doesn't have to be ingrained in them when they're so young. And maybe we should explore a little bit more of that. Why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, let's kind of talk about where you're introducing this program, whether it's the grade school level, the high school level, or all of the above. So please stay tuned. Just for a moment, try to imagine you're dead. You think that's hard? Try this. You're dead, and you don't have life insurance. What would happen to your family's home, to your family's finances, or your family's future? Now here's a thought to put your mind at ease. Life insurance takes care of things should anything happen to you. Death may be hard to imagine, but without life insurance, it's simply unthinkable. Welcome back as we continue a great conversation today with Scott Farnsworth, who is an attorney and certified financial planner and also the co-founder of Main Street Philanthropy. Main Street Philanthropy inspires future generations to become passionate philanthropists. Before the break, we were talking about how you were introducing this program into the schools now and how you've really constructed into a real refined process. So let's touch a little bit more on that. In some cases, education seems to need to start at such a young age to put this core belief in a person's life. But it sounds like the way you've built this, that even if you interjected even at the high school level, if kids didn't have exposure to these concepts any time prior in their lifetime, that you still can be incredibly impactful to them. For example, this story you shared about the middle school in San Diego and in the juvenile justice system, where you really reached kids and gave them a sense of purpose. So share with us a little bit about this introduction now of the program into high schools and how you're reaching kids at that level as they're getting closer and closer to really being productive members of society. Great question. We found that this process works at just about every age level, I would say from middle school on up. You can do lots of things with very young children. 
children as young as six and seven. But some of the pieces require a little bit more maturity. So we know it works at the middle school level. We like the high school group too because they have more mobility. They have more opportunity to go volunteer, to drive over and check out the pet shelter or whatever. In my work with high net worth families, sometimes we don't get to them until they're in their 20s, but the process works just as well. The way we've done this is we're recruiting what we call ambassadors, who are professionals who understand a little bit about philanthropy, a little bit about finance, and who have big hearts and are willing to spend an hour or two making a difference in their community. We're equipping them with the tools to teach this course, to find the right school setting, and to, of course to find someone who wants to step up and put a few thousand dollars on the plate to help kids learn how to be philanthropists. And so we picture that they will find the right spot for them. Some will find a middle school, some a high school. I'm actually starting a course in about a week or two at a boys and girls club. That's one of the amazing stories that has come out of this. As we've spread our wings and started to launch, we've got a lot of nice publicity from local press. Then as I go around promoting the program in different schools, one of the people I approached about a donation said, I'll probably help you with my local school, but I think this would be a great fit for Boys and Girls Club. He put me in contact with a board member there, and it was just like instant. It was a perfect idea. They needed a really robust program for the summer. They have kids from a more challenged background than most high schools. So I'm just so, so excited about it. I guess the bottom line is, from about 10 years on up to 30, and maybe beyond that, but at 30 people start thinking they already know everything, but regardless of their social economic background, this process touches people and changes people. And it isn't just the kids, it's everybody else who's involved. Hey, Scott, one thing I think we maybe forgot to cover for our listeners, why don't you help define the difference between philanthropy and just giving to charity? What's the difference? Philanthropy, the root of the word is love of mankind. To me, the essence of truly loving somebody is not only just throwing money at a problem, which I guess in its lowest common denominator, that's charity, you know, handing out dollars. Philanthropy is also being resourceful. It is being mindful and intelligent about the way we do all our giving. I think philanthropy incorporates a sense of not only your treasure, but your time and talents get thrown into the mix. And so the result is a higher leverage. It's one thing to just hand out dollars. I mean, you could stand on the corner and pass out $20 bills all day long. I don't know how much difference you'd make in the world. But if you start thinking about, okay, how do I do this intentionally? How do I do this with greater energy? How do I leverage my connections, my talents, my passion, everything, in a way that's going to make a long-term difference? To me, that's the way I define what's charity as opposed to what's philanthropy. Scott, you talked about the rollout of this program, the ambassador. Can this be anybody, or do they really have to have a background in something? How have you packaged this program for anyone potentially to be an ambassador and bring it into their local community and maybe their local schools? I think that the two skill sets that we're looking for are a love of teaching, a love of wanting to work with youth. And then the second is a general understanding of financial principles. Now, Ryan and I are both come from the financial advisor world, so we sort of logically, naturally go to our constituency. But we have been approached by, for example, a retired teacher, somebody who works in youth programs. This is not rocket science financial stuff. So anybody who had a passion for it, we could help them, I think with not that much effort, get ready to go in and teach. The other thing that we're working on, and this is where we're excited, 
besides Main Street philanthropy, we want to make this process available to families at sort of the kitchen table level. We've learned a lot from being in the schools and working with the students there, and I think we've distilled out the essence of what this is and why it works. We're in the process now of developing a set of tools that would allow any family to take a, almost like a game, home and say, let's do this. It goes back to that original philanthropic slush fund idea that I introduced in some of my workshops to lower middle income families. The idea is to get as many people doing this as possible because it touches people in a very deep way. The reason I ask that question is I really want our listeners to understand that you don't have to be a financial advisor to deliver the concept of philanthropy. And the way you've really packaged this program, what maybe our listeners could do is partner with their advisor who's distributing this program to them today to reach out to their local community and work as a team to make a difference. If somebody sort of got it, they heard what I said and it made sense to them, they could talk to their advisor and say, let me work with you to bring this to my kid's school. That's where we're getting a lot of interest, is people hear about it and say, well, how can we get this in my kid's school? Well, the answer is get with your financial advisor or somebody else who meets those criteria that I just described and say, let's reach out to Main Street Philanthropy, see how we can make it happen here in our school. We start seeing kind of that bottoms-up demand because people want their kids or their grandkids to have this experience. That's when this thing's just going to go hog-wild crazy. And we've talked about going and getting donors. Let's just talk about what a donor does, because I know this program does cost some money to put on, but a lot of that money that you raise for each class is money that's almost like a matching fund for the students, because the students are required to put some skin in the game, and that's what I like. They're not just giving away money that they didn't have to work for. It's many hands make light work, but it's so impactful the way you designed to talk about the donor and how that all works in your program. The donor puts up money to fund the materials and to give the ambassador some resources to work with, and also part of the money that the kids give away. But the students are required to raise a pretty good chunk, not an intimidating chunk, but a pretty good-sized chunk of the money that's actually donated. By some simple fundraisers and other activities, they get their own skin in the game. The donors stay involved, and that's one of the things that we have discovered. I can share this experience. My donor for my high school here was a client of mine who really just wanted to help me get this thing off the ground. So he and members of his family all chipped in a little bit and came up with the funds it took, which is not a lot of money. It's a $5,000 donation to fund the whole program. He was not able to go with us on the check delivery field trip. Usually we try to get the donors to go there because that's a really touching experience. Instead, he came a couple weeks after the class got out. All the students were dying to meet him. Who is this guy who would trust a bunch of teenagers to give away a few thousand dollars of his money? And so it was a really great experience when we all met. We had put together a little videotape, and that videotape is on YouTube, these students talking about their experience. So we premiered it there with the donor in the room. There were a lot of tears about that because it's very impactful. The students had written thank you notes to him. His name is Ed. And on the way to the car, Ed said, well, I'm going to read these thank you notes, and then I'll send it back to you because I bet there'll be some good material in here for your program. He hadn't been home 30 minutes when I got this email from him. He said, Dear Scott, I know I said I would give you the cards back, but I've been reading them. They're so touching and heartfelt. And I wonder if I could persuade you to let me keep them in my permanent file. He said, Years from now, when my work is done 
and my kids are grown, and I'm sitting here wondering if anything I did really mattered. These will be a shot in the arm. Thank you for letting me be a small part of a really holy cow experience. Signed, Ed. So everybody who gets around this gets infected. It is definitely a communicable disease in the most wonderful of ways. Did you and Ryan really envision yet where you'd like this thing to go? I mean, do you have kind of an end game or just let it kind of mushroom and make a change? In the two years in development, we saw so many possibilities that it was like the man who jumped on his horse rode off in all directions. We just couldn't keep up with all the possibilities. And finally, we just had to come back to square one and say, okay, let's just create a simple little nonprofit. Let's do it ourselves. Let's polish it up. And then let's go talk to our friends in the advisory world. We think they're going to have the same excitement we do. We don't know. We hope they will. We presented at the conference at the Advisors in Philanthropy. It's been about two months ago. And the response is just remarkable. So we're creating a first wave of pioneer ambassadors, trying to get them ready to do a presentation in a school this fall. We feel like there's going to be a chain reaction. We feel like people are excited when they hear about the concept. We also feel like there's some potential for advisors to bring this sort of into their shops and to work directly with their client families. I love the idea that we're out in the schools and sort of spreading the seed broadside, but I also like the idea that advisors can take a fairly simple process and can work with their client families. Then the people can bring it home and gather their kids and grandkids around a kitchen table and have this really grand experience. So I guess our vision is that this could be the way advisors work with their clients. This could be the way parents and grandparents work with their children and grandchildren. This could be a part of every child's education because it is a different experience when you're doing it with a bunch of your friends. Every application has its own sort of level of joy. We have a big vision, but we're trying to sort of hold the reins back and not run before we're ready to crawl. Well, I'm sure you have a website and some places people can go to check this out. What's the way to find out more about this? The website is MainStreetPhilanthropy.org, MainStreetPhilanthropy.org. You could also go on YouTube and find a couple of videos that we've done of some of the participants and their comments. Search for Main Street, and Harmony is the name of the high school where I taught, so these documentaries are from that Harmony class. So Main Street Philanthropy Harmony will give you a couple of videos you could watch. That would be the first step. They're always welcome to call me, and I love to talk about it, as you can tell. Well, listen, this obviously is something that is likely to be infectious on a good note. So if we can, Scott, as we try to further this concept in our local community and with our advisors that are broadcasting this program, we'd like to obviously have you back in the future and just talk about the shape that it's taken. Sound good? That would be fun for me, and I look forward to the invitation. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. 
Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.